And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. My family and I spent New Year's in the Phoenix area visiting my parents, which is becoming a tradition these past couple years. And one of the highlights of this annual pilgrimage is the day when my wife, Teresa, and I leave our kids with grandma and grandpa, and we run far, far away. <laughs> it's our annual date. And by the way, in order to maintain a healthy marriage, husbands and wives should really go out on a date at least once a year. And so off we went on our annual date on New Year's Day. Now, some friends of ours had told us about this place in Phoenix called Last Chance. Has anyone heard of Last Chance? A couple nods. Okay. It's this place where all the clothes go after they have cycled through all the outlet stores. You can find very nice, brand new clothes and shoes for dirt cheap prices. So I figured, well, if you're only going to take your wife out on a date once a year, you might as well do it at a place called Last Chance. Now, our friends had warned us that while the deals are pretty awesome and unbelievable, the clientele at Last Chance can be a bit aggressive. We didn't think too much of it until we were descending down this long escalator into the bowels of this frenetic underworld of last chance. It's located underground, of course, with no natural light, no windows. There's only one way in and out. The clothes bins at last chance are stacked up three and four feet deep with socks and undergarments and boots and wallets and shirts and shoes and pants. And the shoppers are also stacked up three and four people deep. It's a mass of wide-eyed humanity clawing and scratching at each other, diving toward the next rack of designer slacks, straining for the last pair of $4 slippers. Shopping carts are used as battering rams. Unattended children sit in corners chewing on belt leather. And in the distance, you can hear faint sounds of a bouncy Jack Johnson tune. So as Teresa and I go into this store, we literally get swept away by this sea of people, and we start to get separated by all the people. And so I let out a loud cry, keep your cell phone on. And that was the last we ever saw of each other. It turns out there's no cell phone reception in Last Chance. I'd only been in the store a few minutes when I heard a very loud speaker, uh, uh, the, the voice over the loudspeaker of this robotic woman saying, aggressive shopping is not allowed at last chance. Aggressive shoppers will be deported immediately to the nearest Nordstrom's. <laughs> no, the last part wasn't true. I made that up. But there really was the announcement that banned aggressive shop shopping in the store. So as I was kind of battling my way to the men's section, which is about one one hundredth of the entire store, I noticed this strange formation of women that was lining up around the edges of this one aisle. And they were all facing one direction, and they all stood motionless. And they were staring intently at a group of workers who were restocking one of the clothes racks. And I thought, what in the world is this? As it turns out, several times an hour, workers will come out 
to replenish a particular section of clothing. But in order to do so safely, large security guards with big muscles and tight shirts and the little Secret Service earpieces, they come out and they make a ring around the rack of clothing in order to stave off the aggressive shoppers while the rack is being restocked. And if an unsuspecting shopper just sort of wanders over to this new, uh, new clothes rack, the guard will immediately head them off and tell them how far back they need to stand. And in a matter of minutes, dozens of shoppers gather like zoo animals at mealtime, waiting to be fed. And this tense standoff ritual happens like every 15 minutes somewhere in the store. So when the rack has finally been restocked, the guards then come forward and approach the line of hungry shoppers slowly. And then they meet them, and then they start to walk backwards slowly, gently beckoning them towards the new clothes, saying, walk toward the blouses slowly. That's it. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. And once the shoppers are within arm's reach of the new clothes, they calmly say, okay, now you may shop. And the feeding frenzy begins. This place was a sight to behold. Now, I know what you're thinking. Where is Jesus in all this? Let me tell you, I don't think I encountered Jesus at last chance. But there is an illustration here. That scene of those shoppers making this wide circle around the clothes, and then those big, tough security guards protecting the clothes from the hungry mob, kind of reminds me of that scene early on in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and we're told that God places guards around the garden, cherubim, angels, with flaming swords to keep humanity from entering back into the garden. You remember the story. Adam and Eve disobey God, and they eat the fruit of the tree they're not supposed to. Now, God doesn't want them to eat from the tree of life, remember, because if they do eat from the tree of life, he knows that they will be eternally separated from him. So it's really out of compassion, not so much anger. It's out of compassion that God sends them out of the garden so they won't eat from the tree of life. And in Genesis 3, we read, he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, there are those angels, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the story of how humanity, about us, about how we were removed from paradise, and how the gates of paradise, the gates of heaven, were closed to us, permanently separating us from God. And then there are the cherubim standing guard around the gates of heaven, just like the clothes police at last chance. Except they're not just guarding it for five minutes. They're guarding it for millennia, thousands and thousands of years. The gates of heaven have been closed tight to humanity. Until today, or rather the event that we celebrate today, the baptism of our Lord. Why was our Lord baptized in the first place? This is a wonderful question, and there are many important and rich answers to the question, one of which is this. 
He was baptized in order to reopen those gates of heaven to humanity once and for all. Jesus was baptized, St. Mark writes, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened. Some translations say that they were torn asunder, uh, almost like a violent ripping or tearing or opening. And they're not just open so God the Father can stick a megaphone through the clouds to say, this is my son. That's not the language used in the scriptures when it says that the heavens were opened. The third century martyr and priest Hippolytus of Rome writes of this astonishing moment. He says, the heavens had been shut before this. The region above was inaccessible. We might descend to the lower parts, but we could not ascend to the upper. So it happened not only that the Lord was being baptized, but he also was making new the old creation. That's us. He was bringing the alienated, again, that's us, under the scepter of adoption. And we'll talk more about adoption in just a moment. For straight away the heavens were opened to him. And he concludes by saying, a reconciliation took place between the visible and the invisible. The celestial orders were filled with joy. The diseases of earth were healed. Secret things made known, one of whom was the Trinity. Those at enmity, and again, that's us. We were at enmity with God and with one another. Those at enmity restored to amity. At the baptism of Christ the bridegroom, it was fitting that the heavenly chamber should open its glorious gates. Astonishing, isn't it? So great is this event of our Lord's baptism that it is mentioned in all four gospel accounts. And this is noteworthy when we consider that his nativity, his birth, is only mentioned in two, Matthew and Luke. But our Lord's baptism is witnessed in all four Gospels, a sure sign of its importance for our salvation. The gates of heaven are opened, and access to God the Father has been restored to all of humanity through God the Son. What does this have to do with us? Well, I think the great application question here is, well, how do we access the paradise of God? How do we enter into these heavenly gates that have been opened at his baptism? And the answer is quite simple. By joining ourselves to the Son of God. By joining ourselves to Jesus. But how do we join ourselves to Jesus? Again, the answer is simpler still. And it's actually found in this story itself. It is through the waters of baptism. When we are baptized, that same Holy Spirit descends upon us and unites us, joins us to Jesus, to God the Son, so that what Jesus is by his nature, the Son of God, we become by grace adopted sons and daughters of God the Father. Jesus' baptism is, in a sense, this image of our calling as Christians. We, too, are called to be anointed by the Holy Spirit and to be standing in that place under an open heaven where we have access to God the Father, where he, too, says to us that we are his beloved sons and daughters. 
you'll notice that even though this imagery of the heavens opening is so wonderful, our salvation is not about just getting in to heaven. The real objective and the real purpose of the Christian life is for us to be reunited with God, for our relationship to be restored. And we see the intimacy of that relationship in the Father's words. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The real objective of the Christian life is for God to dwell in us and we in him. And this is what happens when we are joined to Christ. God and humanity are reconciled as one. This reconciliation and union begins in the waters of baptism, but it is only a beginning. And Jesus' own life bears witness to this. I mean, Jesus didn't come out of the waters of baptism and he wasn't like, okay, sweet, I got baptized. I'm getting into heaven. See you when I die, God. Okay, where's the party? After his baptism, what happens? Jesus continues in his loving and obedient relationship with God the Father. He's driven out into the wilderness, tempted by Satan. He fasts and prays. He teaches and preaches and serves and loves. He is obedient unto death, even death on a cross. This is the Christian life, of which holy baptism is just the very beginning, the beginning of the restored relationship. But we too are called to live a life of loving service and obedience to our Heavenly Father. We will be tempted by Satan in the wilderness. We are called to fast and pray and teach and preach and serve and love. We are called to be obedient unto death, picking up our crosses and following our Lord. Beloved, the heavens are opened up to us this day. We cannot enter into them on our own strength, but in Christ we can. And I pray that we would choose to receive more and more the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that we would grow deeper and deeper in union with Christ, and that we would be able to walk in that wonderful freedom under an open heaven as beloved adopted sons and daughters of the Father. In the name of the living and true God revealed to us in our Lord's baptism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.